Hello, and welcome to the Future Podcast, episode number six. My name is Jeremy Bulleris, and every single week, I sit down with a guest, and we talk about technology trends and where the future might take us. In this episode, I sit down with Drew Shaw, and we talk about building businesses for the long term and internet platforms. So I'm here with Drew Shaw, and today we're going to be talking about some ideas about building businesses for the long term and platforms on the internet. How's it going, man? It's going well. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. No worries. Um... So to get started, I kind of wanted to, before we started the podcast, we talked a bit about some of the things we're working on. We'll, we'll dive a bit into that. Um, but I want to, as I've brought up on the podcast before, talk about some ideas from Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One. Um, he talks about all sorts of things in the book from globalization to building businesses for the long term. And, you know, Peter Thiel's had a, uh, you know, he, he moved from Germany to California where he went to Stanford and basically lived in the valley. So he was exposed to venture capital and a different sort of mindset that other parts of the world, uh, you know, they, they think a bit differently from what's going on in the valley. So becoming, um, eventually becoming a capitalist or developing his, his capitalist mindsets and going into venture capital, he developed a lot of concepts and some of those as, you know, he started Confinity, and eventually that became PayPal and, and, you know, they've learned a whole lot from that. But one of the things they've, they've, that became very clear and has become apparent to them was that to build businesses for the long term, or if you're in the business of, of, uh, accumulating capital instead of going into business to, uh, compete because, you know, growing up, he was talking about how he wanted to compete for a lot of things, but hyper competition evaporates your profits and, building monopoly and being in the business of, of, of capitalism, you're in the business of accumulating capital. Um, he talks about the only real way to do that is to build monopolies for the long term. And you'll really reap the rewards once you, you take the, you, you own an entire market and the real rewards are decades down the road. Um, and since you want to build things for decades on the road, I kind of wanted to dig, dig a bit deeper into this idea. Yes, I do. Building monopolies. I think I definitely agree with Peter, too, when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. You know, much like a lot of people. And uh, I think his testament, the experience he's gained uh, about building monopolies, holds a very true in a lot of different industries, from PayPal to some of his investments. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say some underlying trends with some of the stuff he's worked on, it's decently platform-based. And that's something I've been trying to do for the longevity of the business. Mm-hmm. But, of course, it helps in terms of uh, you know, having or uh, obtaining capital deploying it and being mm-hmm. able to grow and create that monopoly mm-hmm. and uh the excuse me the exposure part is actually very interesting I had this conversation recently with the mentor and that was you know the more you're exposed to things the more your uh your eyes are open to them and i think that leverage point of being in the valley has definitely helped a lot and kind of aggregating some of the ideas and making it where it's you know easily executable and it's kind of in bite-sized packages mm-hmm. so from that mindset transferring to business on a similar note, I think it should be very easy for the consumer. And there are certain things that you do operationally, I'll give some examples in a second mm-hmm. that lead to creating monopolies. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, making platforms as mentioned, I think that's really important when it comes to growing and vertically integrating. So for example, the nutrition company and the events company I'm currently involved in, that's the main mission right now is creating a, a central place where, uh, you can go to or you can uh, you know, control your whole supply chain. 
Mm-hmm. So I think other examples of this, obviously well-known ones being uh, Uber or being Amazon, where if you want transportation, whether it's a scooter or a helicopter, you go to Uber. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy something, you go to Amazon. So I think uh, these bigger companies have uh, great lessons when it comes to Ownership running of small businesses oh, gotcha, and kind of gotcha. applying, applying that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about also is that, you know, information has become a commodity. It's become accessible to almost anyone and uh, much quicker um, as we've progressed with the internet. So I think one of the things you pointed out was continuous exposure to things is very important for you to change, for you to kind of program your ideas around. Um, And I think the new kind of smart is, is continuous exposure to, to things versus um, just obtaining knowledge. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, mm-hmm. I agree. In, in terms of the exposure you get when you're trying to, uh, you know, get to a new level financially or spiritually, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. I think exposure is like that component where you need. That's something I just recently realized is the more you're exposed to the right things, the mm-hmm. more you kind of progress forward. And as for information, uh, as you mentioned, that aspect of it, that's something where I think that the real skill set today for uh, operators of a business or really in general is being able to have a good grasp and obtain a lot of things versus being specialized in one thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's a time and place to that for sure. But when it comes to you know, building a monopoly, yeah. I think I think one outskews the other a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think um, especially in this landscape where we have so many different resources being developed by so many different people, um, even, even like we're in tech field, so we kind of see uh, the evolution of you know, just like, for example, um, like software engineers, for example, you know, the role of a software engineer has completely changed over the last, you know, decade. And now it's more the process of gluing many different bits and pieces from um, diff- different things people have already pre-built. You know, it's very rare you're going to build something completely from scratch, like an entire service or something. Um, so I-, I think that's pretty interesting. Another thing I want to talk about is in the book, um, zero to one, which I mentioned earlier by Peter Thiel. He also mentions that we've made a lot of progress in the world of bits versus the world of atoms, meaning in the world of internet and software and digital things, we've made so much progress because the barrier to entry has been small. And obviously the contributions of, of the excitement from web 1.0, um, and, and a lot of other events, they've just attracted a lot of people to contribute in the world of bits, but we haven't seen nearly as much innovation in the world of Adam. So what do you think are some of the challenges that we need to overcome to start making more advances in the world of, you know, physical things um, versus just in internet stuff? Yeah, I think there's been a huge shift when it comes to the progression of bits that have transferred into atoms. Mm-hmm. So IoT, for example, is one obvious one, of course, new networks and new uh, proprietary things uh, that come out in the world of bits that affect us. Um, I think it was just a, a curve, really, uh, in, in my opinion, because when it comes to progression on that side of things, it quickly leans over and bleeds over to this physical world. Um, and I think we are finding a balance culturally and from a, a tech perspective as well, being able to leverage some of the stuff we have online, right? Take uh, text message conversations, have it easily there, uh, manipulated or there can be interpreted. So I think even getting understanding of how we interact with it is kind of the first step. And a lot of the new stuff now, the bits are, or you can see this from the, the, the biggest bit tech businesses of today mm-hmm. is the bits are becoming the vehicle for the atoms. So obvious stuff, Uber, Airbnb, mm-hmm. but even one of the ventures I'm working on, 
uh, being able to, you know, have have workplace settings uh, kind of come to you and you interact with them. Mm-hmm. So it's really uh, these bits create a good platform and good baseline for what happens in atoms, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that you know that moving forward is going to be something inherent, gotcha. in my opinion. Um, so kind of two points to this. Um, one, from your, your point, I think that the world of bits and the quick innovation on that front is going to continuously help drag up the, f- the side of, you know, physical things as well. And a lot of, uh, innovation in the world of atoms is going to be, um, is going to be in some sort of close relationship with tech. A lot of things are going to be internet enabled and, um, so I, I think that the world of atoms will never, or yeah, I don't see it being, um, in a position to surpass the innovation on the fronts of, uh, in the world of internet stuff, because, um, yeah, I think it's just too easy for people to make progress in the world of, uh, of bits. I mean, the barrier to entry is too, is too low, you know? Um, yeah. but, well, but I think I, they easily correlate though. Mm-hmm. I think one eventually one starts going hand in hand yeah. and they both kind of, uh, you know, become a one in the same. Mm-hmm. I think we're definitely a little bit away from that. But mm-hmm. also as progression is made in the world of bits, the world of atoms kind of gets elevated and that's a new baseline. Gotcha. So I totally, I totally agree with you. The, the other um, kind of part of this is if it's so much easier to get started in the world of bits, even though they may relate, even though they, they probably will relate to the world of atoms later on, do you think that there's people that are brilliant in fields of engineering that instead of pursuing right away things that may be more pressing issues would jump in and try to work on things that may not be as useful or meaningful to the world because they think that they can just progress a bit quicker uh, up front or in the short term? So I think there's a huge saturation with uh, you know things that are being made right now. Mm-hmm. And are they really beneficial? I think it's yet to see from the startup scene here in Atlanta to really uh, somebody learning how to do something new or solving a problem for themselves. I think the first thing people go to is uh, building something in bits. So uh, just to put it in slightly more layman's terms, I would say, you know, not every business needs to be an app and not every app is a business. And that's something where mm-hmm. I see uh, over and over again. Uh, and when I uh, you know, look at ventures is yes, it's extremely beneficial to leverage technology, but it's not a, that may not be your medium. Mm-hmm. So I think, the excitement has is still there. I don't think that's going away when it mm-hmm. comes to him working on a business. You know, if it's someone under twenty five, oftentimes it's something tech related or an app. But as we move forward and we need different things, I think it'll just fall into place. Um, you know, creating non uh, bit related businesses, more atom related businesses. Mm-hmm. Businesses, excuse me. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, so let's move over a bit to venture capital in the world of VCs, what do you think some of the ventures um, that, what are some of the ventures that you think should be getting funded um, in, the, in the next little while? Now I'm going to stream question a lot along a little bit and include uh, private equity as well, just mm-hmm. to have an answer that's both related to Benson Adams. Mm-hmm. And I would say still, uh, scalable things. So to, to define that further, whether it's a brick and mortar store or it's a social media app, I think what kind of needs to be created more, funded more is things that are socially good mm-hmm. uh, at this at this time. Uh, not because, you know, 
at that time of recording, we have a pandemic going on. Mm-hmm. But in general, what is useful? What are people really using? Uh, when somebody pictures me an app, the first thing I ask them is, hey, when's the last time you downloaded an app? And surprisingly, it's not recently. So I think there definitely needs to be a check of, is this usable and how does this stand out? Mm. So, you know, it's, you know, I'm tempted to take an example of, of different industries, maybe healthcare, but uh, to, to broaden the answer, I would say there's an easy check when it when it's coming from an investor or a founder mm-hmm. is, is this app socially good and beneficial? Oftentimes there needs to be some pivots made in order to make that uh, the case. Gotcha. When it comes to apps being downloaded less, is it because there's just a flood of not as useful apps and people aren't just willing to download the apps themselves? Or is it because well, there's I- been a change in the dynamic of how people actually consume content or, or social social things like that they can get elsewhere? You know, uh, I was thinking neither, but I think the answer is actually both. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, why I was tempted to say neither is because I think we live in a little bit of bubble when it comes to keeping up with the, the newest phone or looking on product hunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's totally fine. But most people, they um, need they have a necessity they're trying to fill with technology versus them having a explicit interest in it. So I mm-hmm. think that, you know, once the once the product is useful enough to the mass public or their specific niche, the use case like def- like completely changes. I think a lot of people that go to make an app uh, explicitly are definitely in it for you know trying to build a business and a livelihood make some money but uh apps are really hard to build you know they're they're something that doesn't happen overnight and for that reason them really getting into the tech and the operations or the uh development side of it i think changes their outlook and you know a little bit skews of of what the user or what the customer might want out of it so I think the answer is definitely both but it's also that uh this bubble of keeping up with technology very closely does not include or kind of, uh, you know, skims over the actual need for the service or for the app uh, and people's day-to-day lives. Cool. So also when it comes to, like, when you look out there in the landscape, what are some, what are some companies or, uh, you know, teams that are doing a really great job at nailing down the value portion for the users? So I think a few apps, uh, smaller apps like Beloved, Totem, uh, they're just small startups here in Atlanta uh, comparatively, but they've done a good job, excuse me, of really narrowing down what they need for the user. And I think that comes from just direct uh, communication with what they really need and, and being upfront about what they're doing. So I think that's a great model to follow when it comes to starting a new venture or in early stages. Uh, of course, the big outlook of these bigger companies from Apple to Tesla to uh, even uh, T-Mobile's former CEO, I think they did a great job as well. And they really understood the intersection of business and tech and what it really means mm-hmm. uh, when they're serving their niches. Um, but I, I think the, I can name you know a lot of startups, but a lot of them follow the general uh, you know, process of really being able to understand what they're going after. Mm. Got you. Okay. So, um, what are some other interesting things that you see in the landscape of like plat along the lines of of platforms? Uh, so, do you want to mention IoT because that's something where the uh, bits and the atoms kind of intersect, and this is happening, I think, on a larger scale uh, in a lot of places. So, 
when thing when uh any new construction or new ventures are going on that uh or relate to it um this definitely steps in this is kind of the one only way it's it's done this is the uh i'm blanking on the term but mm-hmm. you know uh, this is the, the the new and only way uh things are happening so mm-hmm. i was working with a construction company a while ago and in their cement they they have uh you know little chips that they kind of uh see you know what like ventures they've worked or uh what areas they've worked on mm-hmm. So I think that's becoming the new normal. That's something really exciting, uh, no matter what industry it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, we can mention the big examples of the surgeon being able to perform from across the world, mm-hmm. or from, um, you know, for your, for you being able to control your home, mm-hmm. both from a extremely commercial to extremely residential standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another trend. Oh, sorry, good. No, no, no. I was I was about to jump into a, a bit of a different area, but uh, you can finish off. Uh. Well, I was just going to use some other examples, but mm-hmm. uh, I think this really would stem from the businesses wanting to build a platform, right? Like that's their intention with spending more money and being platform-based, at least from a commercial standpoint. So there, there are a lot of uh, non-tech companies that have implemented uh, major technology because it makes sense for them and their longevity to be able to build a monopoly. So mm-hmm. and I've seen some lo- like local industry trends and how this new adoption has not only helped them in the short term, when the long term has, uh, you know, made them come out ahead of their competition. So I would tease a major example of that uh, in the construction example I mentioned. Cool. Um, so, you know, I think I think that's really great for companies that are not necessarily tech based or were not tech based before, but they're seeing that they should be moving into services which take advantage of you know, for example, like building out a platform for their service or, or around their business in general, um, because that's the only way that they're able, you know, the, the to innovate is the only way that they're going to be able to survive and uh, roll with the changes that are happening in their landscape. So I think seeing companies that are able to do that well um, is really great. Like, for example, Netflix, when they were shipping out DVDs, that was one thing. But even though the guy was like an older guy, he still saw that the landscape was changing and went to an online streaming platform. Whereas so many companies, including Blockbuster, like why wasn't Blockbuster Netflix? Like they should have been, but they weren't because they weren't paying attention. Whereas Netflix, even though it's run by an older guy, they were shipping on DVDs, they still made a shift because they knew that was the, the way going forward. So I really like seeing that in terms of you know companies moving along and seeing what's important. On the flip hand, there's so many companies that are doing the exact opposite and just being ignorant and not innovating, and those are the ones that go out of business. Um, okay, and the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, we both have experience in digital media, and you know Gary Vee as well, and he talks about a lot of where the attention is when it comes to the consumer. So he talks, this is kind of the other side of the coin, when we're developing these technologies, and whether it's a platform or IoT devices, or, you know, like voice devices or, or things that reduce friction, I think it's... It incre- if you can build things that increase efficiency and they, they become a no-brainer, they become um, a, very easy for people to use and, and um, they become, it saves people time, it becomes convenient, then I think that is going to be the way we go. We're just going to become a lot more efficient and all about convenience. So in the digital uh, distribution space, do you happen to be familiar with uh, OTT platforms? Yeah. So I think that's a big example of how it's it can be done super well, but it's it's uh, not as easy as it looks. 
So there's a bunch of OTT, new, new OTT platforms I've came across on, uh, you know, at A3C and in general. And that's a area where they're trying to build a platform, but it's not working. Right. Uh, there are so many smaller platforms that have aggregated their uh, media production and some of the, you know, uh, shows and networks they have, uh, you know, within their reach to build a centralized location. Mm-hmm. But I think the attention is not always there. You know, you can even look at the sales of, you know, Google Home versus Alexa mm-hmm. on a excuse me on a bigger scale and see kind of the discrepancy or uh, HomePod I should say, uh, and how it's the adoption is difficult mm-hmm. when building a monopoly. You know, the idea is to build a platform and grow internally and have an accessible place for your customers and consumers. Mm-hmm. So that idea holds true, but then how do you get people to actually use the platform One and, so and gain their attention? I think that's where like your secret sauce comes in. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, not only marketing and operation come in, but also how your bits and atoms uh, you know translate well. You know, there's one I saw recently, and they're only mobile. They're OTT. They have a few thousand networks on it, but unfortunately, they don't have traction. So mm-hmm. I think that's when. You know the, the marketing play comes in really and i know you run a a digital agency and that's something where i think you can provide some good insight mm-hmm. into some of the trends going on uh and how you can grant attention and the adoption for platforms yeah absolutely um so before we dive into that i i think building monopoly is incredibly hard when you have to innovate a lot so if you you have to build if you're going to go in something into not a market that's already exists. Well, into an existing market, but with products that are substantially better, um, or building a completely new market and having a really, really great product. That alone is extremely hard. But the other part is you're also getting fresh new eyeballs that have maybe not been exposed to that sort of thing before. So getting early adopters and people on board and getting a network effect started is a whole new, is a whole other side of the coin. And that is extremely hard in in and of itself. So um, when it comes to advertising these and and just mark the marketing aspect of uh, getting people on the platform, um, you have to take a really unique approach because I think that, yeah, you can see things that have worked before for, for gaining users on I mean, if you're going to be doing something completely different, you have to have a completely different approach to how you're going to market the items or market your service, your product, but it has to be, it has to be super unique. And and I think you can't look at it in a very transactional way, which I think is where the play of creating content around what you're doing is very, is very important Um, because you have any great business um, and, and brand over the long term is is creating a narrative around their company and, and their products. So, yeah, just producing a lot of content around the service and how it's being made and how it's servicing customers and that sort of thing is a huge, huge uh, start. And having social is is incredibly important because distribution is is super cheap. And I mean, just outside of uh, paid advertising in general, um, being able to deploy on these platforms for nothing, just the cost of producing the creative, which can be extremely low these days. I mean, it, it, film equipment and editing is is just at a ridiculously low price. I mean, doing this like 10, 20 years ago was, was a different story too, but now it's just, it's ridiculous. The accessibility is is to everyone and yeah, producing content and being able to um, write a story around what you're doing. That's one, one huge step. Um, 
uh, yeah. So what are some of the things that um, you think are crucial using the technology we have out right now to be able to um, gain an audience or uh, gain attention to your service or product if you're building a monopoly or something that's really new and people haven't necessarily been exposed to before? Uh, so what digital uh, you know, strategies and technologies can you use to gain an audience when you're trying to build a new monopoly? Um, definitely content-based, right? Yeah. I think that's definitely oversaid, but the thing is you'll never be at the lack of content. That's a huge thing, but that comes at the idea of I'm producing content mm-hmm. to track with people. So I think being open and listening to, you know, what's going on mm-hmm. is, uh, is that strategy there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's so you know, focused on a niche. So really targeting, connecting with people. I would say that the, when people say produce content, the idea is not to, you know, just start posting things, but it's a way to connect with people and kind of get in touch. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where the social media platforms come in, the, the bigger flagship ones to utilize, uh, you know, what you need, whether it's a service or a platform of your own, um, and, and gaining an audience, gaining uh, traction that way. So I would say that the key thing is whatever you can do, technology or strategy to start really connecting with people and getting your idea out there and bringing that value. Not to sound like Gary Vee, but you know, it, it's you don't always go up to people and ask them for something, and nor should you online. Yeah. So that's always a good check when you know how do the bits and atoms uh, come together um, online in this uh, you know this content perspective. Mm-hmm. It's it's very similar to what you would do in person. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's, I think, a, a big mistake a lot of companies are making. Those that are investing, you know, that have maybe come from the TV world um, and, are, and are just starting to invest a bit of money in digital, um, they, one of the approaches they started taking is oftentimes a transactional um, approach where they don't realize it's a social platform and that doesn't really fly because people aren't transactional on those platforms for the most part. Um, yeah, I was just about to say the discrepancy is that the tension isn't there. Mm-hmm. You can post, but nobody is viewing or listening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's where the strategy, you know, mm-hmm. description comes in. Is oh, I, I made this really creative, really entertaining, you know, high value uh, piece of content that I can share, but there are no eyeballs on it. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I mean, that was my philosophy in, in mentioning that uh, it, you need to kind of be you know, act like it's a two-way street because it is, first of all, but that's kind of the thinking that has to go into uh, this new media versus old media ideas. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is um, going back to like, let's say, for example, before PayPal became PayPal, there was Confinity and X.com, which, you know, was Peter Thiel and Elon Musk. They merged at some point when they realized they were just going to destroy each other um, and you should burn their their capital by trying to compete. So when they merged, they adopted Confinity's products name PayPal. But what they were doing is paying consumers or customers uh, 10 bucks every time they well, to join the platform. And then when they'd refer friends, they'd get um, money out of it too. So essentially they were paying their customers to come to the platform, which is sometimes a, a heavy price they'll pay to be able to get people to, to come on early. Um, they had something like a $10 million a month burn rate um, for paying customers to join their platform. Do you think, and I mean, there's pay, or there's uh, Uber and Lyft now that have been pay, that have been giving referral credits to customers for joining and inviting friends 
Um, do you think that is still a very valid thing or do you think it's something people should shy away from if they're not heavily funded through venture capital or other methods? Yeah, so when it comes to like burlap scooters or the ritual food ordering app, you know, I think there are definitely a bunch of uh, big and small players kind of using this strategy. I think that you have to think about the scale you're going after. A lot of businesses, if you are under this really high threshold of of capital or scale, Mm -hmm. it's just not a feasible idea to to do something like that. Of course, the idea is, you know, we're trying to go over that threshold and uh, well over it. I don't think there's, there's really no business situation I can think of that is near the threshold. So it's either way under, it doesn't make sense at all, or it's way over, and we really have to take that risk. But mm-hmm. I think it's a huge risk, obviously, and I don't think people are falling for it now. They take advantage, but does it really fit uh, you know, their need and their use? Mm-hmm. So I think the benefit that PayPal had was, at the time, it was super early on, and something like this made sense because when you're coming on the platform, mm-hmm. you are theoretically coming on to actually use it. Same thing with Bird and Lime scooters is, you're in the city, you maybe take the train, you maybe need to go around the block. Mm-hmm. You have a greater likelihood of using it. A ritual food ordering where all the restaurants around you, you're already going. You know, why would you wait in line? Just open up, open up the app order even after your uh, credit has expired. Mm-hmm. So there is a time and place to do it, but I, I don't recommend it if you are at any threshold. You know, I don't think me giving you the okay to do this Mm-hmm. Do, do such a thing on the podcast is the right audience. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll know if there's the right time to do it. Mm-hmm. So my general answer is, is that a good idea? No. And you'll kind of know when it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even back then, like when they were developing PayPal, it was, you know, in the late nineties, um, kind of at the, you know, late nineties to very early 2000. Um, what was happening back then though is it was still pretty dangerous they were putting they were burning through a lot of capital and a lot of their users were ebay um power sellers like it was people continuously using the product so that was one thing but i think it was it was almost like you know google glass in 2007 it was super early on and maybe and it was kind of too early and i think they were saved by the acquisition the acquisition by ebay um because I, i don't think that would have been able to fly for too long um, and having a, a bigger company like eBay come in and have a lot of his consu- consumer base use PayPal f- to complete their services um, w- was an important um, kind of solution there. Yeah, like I said, what better trust is there in your product than you paying the user to, to come on board and start using it? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that uh, the faith that you built a product that you know meets the needs and is a good product that you want to keep coming back to I think that's kind of the the biggest testament mm-hmm. is kind of reversing the whole uh, 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 so I'm blanking on the word but mm-hmm. you know, reverse the whole situation and, uh, and kind of pay the user to come on mm-hmm. so I think that that only happens when you have users who are tuned in to the things they need and kind of the interest they feel you gotcha. know, like for ShipStation, unless you are in e-commerce, like, I mean, sure, you can guess the name. Mm-hmm. You can guess what it does based on the name, but you kind of don't know of it. So I think these very industry-focused things work well. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, um, you know, bird scooters or ritual food ordering is definitely the exception mm-hmm. in a, a marketing and branding, uh, you know, onboarding play like this. So I think uh, this does happen a, quite a bit when it comes to very industry-focused things. There's a dental company who has a dental software and they give you a month free, they pay you onboard it, they plug everything in 
and you know they trust in their product enough that they know the user is going to come back and keep using their uh, their product. So yeah. it it does make a lot of sense when it's specific like specified to mm-hmm. a particular niche. Got you. And I think the only I mean, if you're in a business where you're only really dealing with your customers one or one or two or you know a few times you're not going to it doesn't really make sense ever to ever even experience anything like that first i think that kind of business is hard to really scale because you need a lot of recurring customers to be able to scale something or else you're just constantly chasing new customers new customers new customers and you never really have something stick um but yeah those businesses that have done that model and actually have succeeded have been companies that have users that you know yes they pay them kind of upfront to come but it's because their service will get them to come back over and over for for a long time for the most part and that's how they really bring the value mm-hmm. i think for those two things it's a much better proposition to spend ten dollars and get a customer on board mm-hmm. than it is to uh, start like marketing and paying eight dollars for customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. So I think the hard part about the customer acquisition is you're spending money whether a user comes on board or not, mm-hmm. and it's so decently high. So you know whether you spend the same more or less amount of money when a user comes on the on board the platform mm-hmm. and giving them a credit. At least they're on like the platform. That they they stay mm-hmm. unless you're only paying for the users you know you've definitely acquired. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anyways, so I think it is a pretty mm-hmm. smart play now that I think about it in the right situations. Yeah, in the right situations. But uh, definitely, I mean, if you're going to be paying a similar cost for acquiring the customer through, um, you know, some marketing channel versus when they're actually being onboarded and they're being given a credit, I think I would definitely lean more towards the credit idea if it fits, if the business model fits more of this like recurring customer model that we've been talking about. Still there? I think you went on mute there. Can you still hear me? Sorry. Yeah, I can still hear you. You cut out for a second. I missed the last thing you said. Oh, um, what I was saying was um, if you were paying the same cost for customer acquisition. Oh, yeah, I heard, I heard that part. Okay. Um, After? Yeah, I think it just, I mean, if your business model is one that brings customer back over and over again, um, then that's kind of the only way it really makes sense for that model to work. But I mean, if you're within that, that is something I believe that people should explore more, um, but definitely not everyone for sure. Yeah, agreed. All right, so I think we're gonna wrap this up um, really uh, around here. Is there anything else you wanna talk about? Uh, I think that I think it was a really good uh, podcast in terms of being able to talk tech and explore ideas deeper mm-hmm. I was often thinking out loud a little bit but i think in general it was a uh, some some good ideas explored awesome um so tell the people what you got going on and where they can find you sure so right now i have a uh, pseudo vc fund i'm looking for new projects that can help on a leverage and add it to my verticals right now i'm working on uh, alfred nutrition i work in a great nutrition company tiny events it's a events and staffing company uh, the Click app with the Mars Thompson, Gary V, and Russ, as well as a few other ventures. You can find me at Drew Shaw One on all social platforms and look out for my podcast coming out uh, in just a few weeks called Existence. Awesome. Cool. Um, do you want to throw in your Twitter handle as well? My Twitter handle is at Drew Shaw One. Cool. I'll toss it in the uh, description for the podcast as well so they could just click on it. Yeah, totally works. Awesome. All right. Thanks for being on there.
Yeah, thanks for having me. No um, I guess look out for a, a DM pretty soon. I just want to have you on my podcast. I think uh, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard your whole catalog, actually. Just trying to prepare, and uh, I think I find a lot of value in it. Mm-hmm. Um, some great stuff explored, and I was actually struggling to find a podcast that goes into depth and really discusses some of the you know ideas in emerging tech. So kind of was a surprising uh benefit to me just preparing for the show but mm-hmm. thanks again for having me yeah of course um cool I'll, I'll send you a link uh when things go live it should be this friday at uh, 2 p.m uh pacific time cool works well okay awesome thanks we'll talk soon of course thanks again with that said that'll be all for this episode of the future podcast if you want to find the latest episode you can go to jeremybulleries.com or give me a follow on Spotify. You can find the podcast by searching Jeremy Bullerys, and it'll be the first one there. Also, if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic, you can tweet at me. My Twitter is J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-O-U-L-E-R-I-C-E, or send me an email at jeremy at newcrowd.co.